Go ahead and find yourself a plastic chair. Make yourselves comfortable. Hey, there's a bunch of you I've not met yet. My name is Luke, and I'm one of the pastors here at Legacy Church. I've actually been gone for a few weeks. This is my first week back at the pulpit. For those of you who don't know, every year I go back to Texas, and I visit and sit down and work with uh, financial investors for this church plant. Um, You might not know this, but me and Chris Harris, both of us put together, we probably have 50 or 60 families that financially support this, this church plant. Um, It's a model that we have affixed ourselves to in church planting that allows us to be much more aggressive, much more stable, all at the same time. Um, But what that does is it requires us going over and kind of casting the vision, giving a good report. Uh, And I'll be honest, they're all very excited. These are families that pray for you. You don't even know who they are. They've never even been here. Um, But they love what God is doing here in Knoxville through Legacy. They're very excited uh, about what God is doing in you. So Texas says hello. All right? Texas says hello. And it's fun. Going back, I got to see some different Acts 29 churches in the Texas area, and they're all a lot of fun. They don't look a whole lot different than we do, to be honest with you. And as much as I, I love the state of Texas and grew up there, I have a lot of family, family and friends there, I, I, I have to say this is, this is home for me. I'm very excited to be here. Coming back was a, was a big relief. It's a joy for me to stand before you. Um, this is a pulpit that I'm honored and humbled to, to be able to speak from. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and flip open to um, Genesis 18. And I'm going to pick up where Chris left off. We've been working this summer through the life story and really the narrative arc of Abraham, particularly paying attention to how Abraham engages things like trust and faith, right? Which is a little bit of a crapshoot. It just kind of depends on what chapter you find yourself in. And even some moments where leadership principles kind of rise to the top. And this is a real fun passage. It's a very interesting passage, really. Have you ever, and this is a big question, have you ever been ripped off by something only to find yourself much more cautious and hesitant the next time it came around, right? Once bitten, twice shy. I mean, that's an idiom that goes back centuries, right? I think that's what happened between me and cottage cheese. (laughs) I think I had it once, and that's never going to happen again. Or Comcast, right? Or any number of sports teams that will remain nameless. It's easy for us. But what about, what about people or family members that we've trusted, kind of maybe lowered our guard, and then felt dropped or ripped off, only to say to ourselves, you've burned me once, but you won't burn me again? Right? How about this? What about God? What about when that person is God, who you feel like might have ripped you off, promised you something, only to drop you? where mistrust kind of creeps in and replaces trust and doubt replaces faith and distance replaces intimacy. I think when this happens, it's what sociologists call a dun. Duns are a demographic that are starting to swell, especially in the deep south. A dun is a person who has given up, given up on God, the church, given up on institutionalized religion is what they'll say, given up on all these things. And they, it's not that they don't know God, it's that they've given up on things. Most of the time, it's because they felt burned in some way, shape, or form. Most of the time. And actually, statistics are coming out now that the, the demographic category of duns has been around for a few years. We're finding that it's mostly leaders from the past. Mostly people who were leading community groups or serving on a Sunday morning, those are the ones that populate the done 
category more often than not. I think today's passage is going to show that we might have some duns in this room. But you might actually be done. Maybe not done with community. Maybe not done with the person sitting next to you. Maybe not done with, with sermons or done with worship or writing checks or doing setup or living rooms, but just done maybe with being intimate with the Lord, giving your heart to the Lord, being an open and vulnerable before the Lord. Ask yourself, out of all of God's promises for you, and there are many, of all of God's promises, which one feels like false advertising? Which one that whenever you hear a pastor or preacher speak on it, something rises up in you that you just don't believe? Maybe he's not strong enough, maybe he's just not good enough, but that's not happening for me and I'm just not interested in hearing about it. I think that's where this passage is going to at least start us. So look in the 18th chapter and the first verse. This is the word of the Lord for us today. I'm only going to read a few verses. It says this in verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. This is the Lord appearing to Abraham. As he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he, Abraham, lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick. Three sayas of fine flour kneaded and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Okay, so we're going to pause right there. There's a little bit that needs to be unpacked. Here's a big question, too. Probably the place we need to start. Who are these three visitors? Right? We know one of them's the Lord because that's what the passage says. So the other two would be angels. But is it Jesus? Is this Jesus? I'm going to, and hear me out, I'm going to submit that it is. All right? Jesus and two angels. All right? I'm going to say yes. This is likely Jesus' pre-incarnation, even though it doesn't say so explicitly. I want you to remember that Jesus' beginnings were not in a manger. That's not where Jesus began. Jesus has no beginning. He is God, immemorial, no timeline at all, no beginning and no end. It didn't begin. The only thing that began in the manger is what we call an incarnation, where God, 100% God, took on manhood, 100% man. And he stooped, and he became one of us, and he walked among us. That's what the manger says began, but not Jesus himself. And we actually see appearances like this, with the Lord being in man form a few times in the Old Testament. This is not the only time. In fact, one time you might remember even reading as a kid growing up, and it's where Jacob wrestles with a man all night, right? Could that have been Jesus? It says this in Genesis 32. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And then if you skip all the way to verse 30, it says, So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Why does he say it like that? Because if you see God face to face, your face gets melted. He's full of glory. He's full of majesty. He just doesn't show up and hang out with people. Not like this. Not unless he's incarnated. 
not unless he is here in a way that accommodates us to where we can be with him. Daniel 3.25, we see actually another occurrence of this where we see a king say, but I see four men. I see four men in the furnace. Some of you know the story. Walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. This type of appearance is God accommodating us. Accommodating us because we're sinful, and we're broken, and we're rebellious, and we're not totally consumed when he comes and shows his glory and his presence in the form of a man. This is how God kept company with sinners. Alec Motyer, who's a famous commentator, he says it this way, it'll be up on the screen. He says, there is only one other in the Bible who is both identical and yet distinct with the Lord. One who, without abandoning the full essence and prerogatives of deity, is able to accommodate himself in the company of sinners, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus is among mankind, even in moments like this. Very cool passage, right? This is a super cool passage because besides Jesus sitting with his disciples and eating, this is the only time you will ever see God sitting and eating with mankind. This is it. And why does he do that? Because Abraham is his friend and God eats with his friends. Later on in the Bible, he will call Abraham a friend of God. And then Jesus comes and he says his disciples are his friends. And what does he do? He eats with them. Even today, even today, whenever we have worship and you'll have the elements back there, bread and wine, what is that if it's not a family meal where we dine with God? Looking forward to a banquet that we will share with God again. God eats with his friends. He eats with his friends. And one day, someday, we will all sit in the light of his glory and we will dine with him again as friends of God. I think that's a fun thing to see in this passage. You know, another interesting thing in this passage, you probably caught it, is that we see the words ran, quick, and quickly five times in such a short little chunk of Bible. And this is what Abraham's family did to show hospitality. They were fast, they were speedy, they did not waste time. And they weren't just quick to serve, they were extravagant in how they served. We see the word seah. There was three seahs of flour that were used in making the bread. You can actually work out how much that is today. That's actually 22 dry liters or 95 cups. That's approximately what it would take to make between 30 and 35 loaves of bread. That's a lot of bread, what we would call a loaf of bread. 30 to 35. But then it goes to show the extravagance even of the meat that they bring, this calf. Most calves used, especially during this time period, whenever they are slaughtered right at the right time for a meal like this, the carcass would have been about 250 pounds. Yeah, it's, that's, that's big. Calves are pretty big. But whenever you cook it down to where it could be fed to somebody, you lose about 60, sometimes up to 70% of the weight. Right? So you're really talking about 100 pounds of meat. But think about that. That's a lot of meat that's about to be served. It's a lot of barbecue. I know a lot about barbecue. Can I tell you something about barbecue? Just getting back from Texas, barbecue can be a spiritual experience if you get it at the right place and you eat it the right way, right? And, and if you are in Texas and you give good barbecue to somebody, that is a deep sign of hospitality. I mean, they're not making, there's no kale in this anywhere. There's no salad. There's no vegetarian option here unless you're just going to eat the bread. This is something that is meant to show great hospitality. This is a banquet. A ton of well-prepared meat, a ton of expensive bread. That is what we're seeing right now. 
So look at verse 9. I'm going to track on. Verse 9 is where it changes a little bit. And they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At that appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did. You did laugh. It's a very cool passage. I think the obvious takeaway, and that's what we'll read in Genesis today, but the obvious takeaway is that we see a family rushing to serve God, eager to serve God, extravagant as they serve God, yet the same family does not trust, totally trust that same God. Is that odd? Does that seem like that even fits? I mean, when you think about it, it feels like those two things shouldn't fit together, that they could, they could give on an extravagant level, but they can't even trust on a basic level. They're having a hard time. And that's what we see. That's the picture that we get. They are seemingly way past trusting that a kid is ever going to happen for them. I think this describes many of us. The fact that we might serve deeply, serve quickly, trust barely. I think it describes, I mean, just between you and me, maybe all of us. Maybe just a little bit. We're making space to be semi-close with God, but maybe covering our wounds from places that we have felt dropped in the past, not really able or willing to let our guard down because we don't want to be burned again. Once bitten, twice shy. We don't want to get hurt again. I think serving is just a whole lot easier than trusting. Serving is just a whole lot easier than believing. I think this passage is going to wrestle with our unbelief a little bit. It has definitely wrestled with mine. And I believe God, like you, like many of you. I believe this Bible. I believe in the gospel. I believe in its truth for me, yet there are some promises still that when I read or when I hear somebody else talk about, I could catch something rising up inside, a little bit of a, of, of a laugh maybe, kind of like Sarah, where I, where I really want to believe, and my doctrine says I'm supposed to believe, but I just don't want to get hurt again. Maybe it hurts a little bit too much to believe. I think I felt like this. What about you? Again, where does maybe one of God's promises feel like false advertising, maybe where your hope is a bit crushed. And it's hard to even consider trusting God in that one area again. And maybe you're even in a place where you believe that God is strong enough and nothing is too hard for the Lord, but maybe he's just being mean. Maybe he's just being cruel. And I think this is kind of where Sarah's chuckle comes from a little bit. I think she might be a dun, by the way. I mean, here she is. I think if you were to quiz her, hey, Sarah, do you believe in God? Well, of course I do. He's out there eating my cooking right now. He's sitting out there with my husband underneath the tree. They're eating right now. I believe in God. Do you believe God is strong? Yeah, I believe God is strong. Do you believe that he is good? Well, I mean, define good. Because I've been waiting for a really long time for the same promise. By the way, this is the fifth or sixth time this promise has come to them over the span of over a decade. <laughs> Just to put that into context for you. Many of us, I think, are 
living on the edge of intimacy. Not firmly in the middle of intimacy, but kind of way out on the edge of it. Semi-lovers, almost trusters, even if we do serve deeply, serve big. I mean, this particular promise from God to them, it's a little bit of a double death, too. Because not only have they been waiting for a long time for a son to come, a long time for an heir to come, with nothing year after year. They're also getting old. But now the double death is that she's postmenopausal. The way of woman is gone. So all the hormones that typically cycle through the female body in order to create a womb that is going to work to carry a baby, that's just not happening anymore. This womb is not fit to carry a child. So you can imagine how she felt hearing something like this yet again. I think for her, her trust died somewhere along on the journey. I could see her maybe even thinking in her own heart, maybe something is too hard for the Lord. Or if it's not, maybe he's just being a jerk about this. Either way, I think I'm kind of done with it, and I think I'm kind of done with hearing about it. You see, when trusting God is laughable for us, it's not just our theology that's on the line, it's our heart. I mean, you could see that in this. There's bitterness cloaked behind that laugh. There's some despondency around it. She's truly struggling. And I think getting burned like Sarah is feeling right now. It happens to you and me whenever we let ourselves hope for something and we let ourselves hunger for something only to find ourselves getting dropped, seemingly dropped. And then when God leaves us hanging, comes up short in our minds, we look for ways to love him without getting really close and without letting him hurt us again. And sometimes that just looks like serving, like they're doing, serving quickly serving deeply. And I think a lot of us might even do this just as a way to maybe manipulate God's hand to give us something faster, give us something more. Surely, if I give more, show up more, lead more, do more, preach more, pray more, surely if I do more, then God will finally move his hand and do something. The womb will open, the job will come, loneliness will end, the house will sell. You fill in the blank, whatever it might be for you. But after a while of it not coming, hope just kind of shrivels up and withers away. You know, I will say this. It is not okay to live in that place. We have all felt that place that I'm describing. It's not okay to live there. It's not really an option for us. It's not an option for us. I think legion are the Christians who are sitting in chairs this morning either here at Legacy or in any church in the area, legion are the Christians. For all of the ranting and raving with the preachers and the teachers and all of the songs led by brilliantly, brilliantly gifted musicians and with all of the literature hanging around and all of the vision statements and all of the websites for all of it, they'd just rather not be there. Because for as good as everything sounds, they just feel dropped and left. I think that's a lot of the church today. And here's the scary thing. I think they're volunteers and leaders. I think these are leaders, the ones who are quick to serve, deep in their service, just like we see in this passage, yet not beyond a little laugh in the heart and a roll of the eyes inwardly whenever we hear about God doing something beautiful. Right? You see, God speaks directly to this through the prophet Isaiah in the 29th chapter. He says this, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is, uh, is a commandment taught by men. Jesus will actually remix this 
passage later on in Matthew saying the same thing. And the whole point of this is that God is looking for our hearts, not just our quick and deep obedience and service. He's not really satisfied with anything else. He's really not satisfied with your deep service and your quick service if it's devoid of a very vulnerable heart and a close heart to him. It's just not what he went to the cross for. It's just not what the gospel came to do. Keeping our hearts from God, though, it can be really hard to see because we just camouflage it with what? Quick service, deep service, frequent service. But the ramifications of this, they're catastrophic. You know, soon, we're actually working on it now, putting the finishing touches on a series that we're going to be bringing whenever this one's finished, whenever this summer one is finished, on how to navigate pain and suffering, how to walk through things, crises, whether you brought it on yourself, whether it's just because we live in a fallen creation, whether someone, some other human did something to you, how do you interpret that? We're pretty bad at it. Usually how we see pain and suffering is a mishmash for like three different religions, what we learned in college, and just what our gut tells us, which is not really a great theology. But it's good to get a good theology on suffering before it parks itself in your front yard. So we're going to take some time to, to do that. Because if it's hard for us to interpret ourselves, it's really hard to interpret it for our neighbor and for the lost city. It's impossible. It's impossible. So I'm looking forward to that series. I think it's going to be helpful for all of us. But one thing I'll throw out there now is there is a little bit of a cycle that we see when some sort of mark comes to us and causes us to throw the walls up, to maybe be once bitten and very much twice shy. It starts like this. You'll develop bitterness. The voice of bitterness is, you have done this to me. You have done this to me. You've injured me. You've wrecked my car. You've wrecked my marriage. You've wrecked my life. And then confusion. Why exactly would you do this to me, Lord? Did you do this to me? We don't even know theologically sometimes, do we? Depression comes right after that. The voice of depression is, can I just make it through the day? It's happened. That's all I know. Why? Who knows? But it's happened. How do I get through this? But then it always lands here. It mistrusts. I won't let you do this to me again. And how do we do that? We build a little bit of a wall. A little bit of a wall. Friends, this is why it's hard for you sometimes whenever you hear someone teach or read a book and it starts talking about how you could have peace in the midst of storms. This peace that sidesteps all understanding and logic, yet you don't get to have it. Because you're in the middle of a storm, you certainly don't have peace. Your heart's as much of a storm as the world outside of you. So you hear somebody talk about it and inside you roll your eyes. You mock it a little bit. Or maybe that God provides for his children. We'll see Jesus teach on that in, in Matthew 6 and in many other places. But you feel very unprovided for. Even financially, you feel impoverished. Does your heart not want to just kind of laugh? <laughs> what about joy in the midst of suffering? What about having your prayers heard? All kinds of promises. We feel like are true theologically. We understand them to be true, but man... Maybe God's just being mean. Maybe the promise that you will be loved and considered. See, in the passage that we're in today, God is giving the promises verbally. We have Jesus. We have Jesus, living, died, and living again. So we have a whole different set of promises, but it's so easy to hear these things that are true for other people, they're just not true for us. And because of that, the wall goes up. And listen, if you go about your day bitter at God's promises with this incredulous laugh, the gospel's really never ever going to be anything that's very beautiful to you. 
The gospel is the, the story and the report of what God has done through mankind, through the person of Jesus, totally at your benefit, but despite your actions. It's God's grace showered upon you totally despite you. That might be something that you get. It might be something that you read books on. It might be something that you preach to others. It might be something that you stick in front of other words like gospel community, gospel mission, gospel living, gospel work. It might be a word that you use a lot, but maybe not something that you're resting in or celebrating in because it does not feel very beautiful to you because God did not do that one thing that you'd hope for at that one time in that one place. So the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? That's not for your brain. That's for your heart. It's not for your brain, it's for your heart. Wombs that won't work, homes that won't sell, sicknesses that won't go, addictions that won't subside, loneliness, depression. We find ourselves to be a church of laughers. We say the right things outside, we roll our eyes inwardly, just like Sarah's doing right here. So what do we do? I think the key that unlocks this passage is to look at another womb that should not be working, carrying another air, it's a miracle as well. That unlocks this passage. And in, in fact, the word laugh, which is a key word in this passage, it means laugh. It, it means that's, that's what Isaac means. So within 12 months, she's going to be pregnant with a, with a son. And they're going to name him Isaac, which means laughter. Depends, he laughs, laughter, she laughs. It depends on who you're reading, but laughter is a part of it. There's no mistake there. I think God gets the last laugh. Not because there's gonna be a son born in 12 months, but because mankind will be redeemed many moons after this. Not only is Isaac's name going to mean laughter, Jesus will be a better Isaac and he will bring joy and laughter to all of mankind where we are broken and in desperate need of being fixed. Because he took our doubts and our fears and our hesitations and our tall walls and our, our uh, incredulous laughing and our eyes rolled to the back of our head he takes all of that right to the cross and dissolves it never to be seen again making room for us jesus actually is the answer to the question is anything too hard for the lord jesus is the right answer and he's proven no no for the hardest thing is him coming to mankind and dying for mankind he already did the hardest thing that is the hardest thing and I don't think that's the problem for many of us in the room. That just answers the question, is the Lord strong enough? But what about, is the Lord caring enough? Maybe he is strong enough, and maybe he's just, he just doesn't have a very big heart. Because it does look like he abandons his kids, Luke. Luke, it looks like he just doesn't care. But again, the cross and the empty grave, they give a resounding no. Jesus answers that. He is very far from heartless. Because he's made a place. And in his story, family time around a table in a living room has you there. Grafted into a family you don't have any business even being in. He has drawn you close, not because he is careless, but because he is careful and considerate and loving for you. For you. And if that is his heart for you cosmically, then whatever struggle you're facing right now, wherever the promises you feel like has been dropped, don't you know that he understands where the very edges of your faith and trust are? And he is there with you, minute by minute. And he is caring for you. And he is desirous for you. See, the gospel is a really cool story in the fact that it has texture to it and wrinkles and turns. And it's beautiful at every turn. 
It's beautiful from every angle. And one of my favorite parts of the gospel story for us is that God does get the last laugh as he lays death in the grave. And that rejection you felt, in the grave. And that time you got burned, in the grave. He gets the last laugh. And we will too, because he is the fixer of broken things at his great cost to your great benefit. Now, how do we take a passage like that and apply it to our lives as worshipers, as Jesus worshipers, right? And I think in order to do that, the key is just to look where Sarah is at. She's inside a tent, the tent that's behind him. So she is thinking no one can really see what I'm doing. She could probably be rolling her eyes like a teenager in there, you know, all day. And the Lord can't see that thing because she's in a tent. She probably felt like she would not be able to be interpreted at all. That she would be totally secret, secret things secret in there. And that's the hairpin turn I love in this passage because for you and me, we don't even need a tent. We could just throw a poker face number one or poker face number two and we could feel the best of people around us because we do not like to reveal or advertise our lack of trust. But God sees even the slightest texture of the human heart, even the, the tiniest speck. He knows the edges of it. That's why Sarah says, I didn't laugh. Oh, yeah, you did. But I didn't laugh. It, Lord, that was like a sneeze. I was laughing at something I heard like yesterday. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it was a laugh, but it wouldn't, I wouldn't like laughing at you. I was like laughing with you. You were laughing, right? <laughs> we can fool each other, but we can't fool him. He knows how we are wound down to the, just the turning of the thought from one thought to another, stuff that eludes us. So I guess the only application I really have is that for you and me and our prayers, that we are able to be relationally honest with God and lament. L lamenting just means to be very expressive with your pain. To be, it's not something we do very well today anymore, by the way. That's something I think that was lost many, many moons ago. But to be very good lamenters, it's okay for you to be a good lamenter. Read the book of Psalms. Somewhere along the history of the church, we all got to turn into Spartans. And we put on this face where we are afraid to show any, any kind of emotion of how we feel like God has left us. But that's a relational honesty that finds itself in intimacy with the Lord. You shut that down, then all you've done is just created an arm length of space between you and the Lord. I didn't laugh, Lord. Yeah, you did. All right, you got me. I did. Can I be honest? I'm just not buying it. You've been saying the same thing for 10 years. So yeah, I laughed a little bit. Sorry about that. Because I'm just kind of trying to figure out where you're at right now. You're definitely not here. And every time I go to church, they talk about this or that. My friends are always talking about this. And I read this book. and this, But I just don't see it. Can we just be honest for a minute? You don't think he does not invite that? That's, that's where intimacy is found. It's where relational honesty is valued. Because if anyone has felt the greatest pain and suffering in the world, it is him. It is him. He understands. And when I say he suffers with you in whatever you're suffering in right now, that means minute by minute. He's not looking off from a faraway place like he's looking back at a movie who's already played and said, yeah, that, that season was tough for him or her. Every second you experience that suffering, the Lord is experiencing that suffering with you and even understands it more than you do. So when we find ourselves in laughable places, I guess, we have to remember a couple things, and that's where he 
knows us so intricately, he knows where our faith begins and ends. He knows the boundaries to our trust. He knows where our hope was crushed. That's important for us because a lot of times we don't even know that. That's why some of you go to counselors because you end up coming out cooked as an adult and you don't know why you believe the things you do. You don't know why you're hurt. You don't know why your marriage isn't working. You don't know why you keep doing this thing. You don't know why this addiction's an addiction. Something happened. Something broke. Hope was crushed. And we don't even know where that's at. But the Lord intricately knows every single boundary marker of our life story, even better than we do. So those laughable situations, they're not meant to lead us to despair. It's meant to lead us to worship. So when you see the gulf between you and the Lord intimately, it's meant to draw your attention to a gulf that existed between mankind and the Lord as he crossed over to become one of us, to draw us to him. That's what it's meant to do. And in this way, we allow the Holy Spirit to grow our heart from being distrustful to a place of trust and vulnerability. Because if you're anything like me, I could catch my heart sometimes saying, listen, if you don't save me in this area, I just won't trust you. I won't say it with my mouth, but inwardly I'm saying it. If you don't save me right here, I'm not going to trust you. But what I want is to sound a little bit more like Job where he says, though you slay me, yet I will worship you. Not because you bring me things, but because you are who you are. You are who you are. I think if we were to take the same passage and apply it to ourselves, not as worshipers, but ourselves as missionaries, gospel heralds to Knoxville and beyond, then we have to understand that the culture that we swim in, it, does not ha- it, it has no idea of how to interpret heartbreak and crushed hopes and dreams. It doesn't know how to do it. It just finds new ones. And then those get crushed, and then it finds new ones. Without the Holy Spirit, we don't know how to do that. But we are gospel heralds. We're the children of the one who gets the last laugh. So we need the Holy Spirit. Not just for ourselves, we need the Holy Spirit for our neighbor. For the bar stool next to us, for the cubicle next to us, we need the Holy Spirit to show us and show them how much Jesus loves them even in the midst of them feeling dropped and mismanaged, right? This is why Jesus told his disciples to stay close and not go anywhere until the Holy Spirit came because they wouldn't be able to do anything without the Holy Spirit anyway. He said, stay close and then the Holy Spirit's gonna come and then the church could be the church and it's inaugurated in that moment. We need the Holy Spirit today. So let me ask you a couple questions as far as this application for you to be running through in your mind. Who around you has a high wall and a guard built up because they feel left and abandoned by God. And by the way, it might be hard to spot them. They might be leaders, and they might try to convince you that they're fine. Oh, I didn't laugh. I didn't roll my eyes. Oh, yeah, you did. See, it's not always easy to see. Ask God to show you who that person is who has hope crushed in them. Who is it? What's their name? What's their story? And as a missionary and a bringer of good news, can you lead them to see a Jesus who understands and is patient and does not judge them and is full of grace? Can you ask the Holy Spirit to go before you, to prepare their heart, to prepare your voice? It's a hard task we have because we live in a culture that is just hope demolished. Amen. I'll tell you what, go ahead and stand with me. I love the fact that laughter will come to many in the end. The end of all ends, when the fixer of broken things comes and fixes all that's broken. And when that happens, your laughter will change. 
You won't laugh at the things that you don't believe anymore. You'll laugh because of how much belief is inside of you. Your poker face will be gone. Everything that is sad, as Tim Keller says, will be made untrue. And this is because Jesus goes before us as the child from an unlikely womb to show us that there really is nothing too hard for the Lord. Nothing too hard for the Lord. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for being so sweet to us and for being so kind to us. I love that even though she was scared, Sarah was scared in this passage, we have no record of you giving her the riot act or really just pounding her verbally for having a little bit of a, a, a failure, a fumble when it comes to faith and trust. Lord, because you have compassion, you're secure, you're not intimidated by what we don't believe. You are, you are a God that is big enough to listen to a lament and not get offended. So even, Father, today as we have a room full of people that I feel like might be laughing at something, hearing a promise somewhere, just feeling like I'm tired of believing it's going to come to me. With walls built up, a guard built up so that we just never get hurt again. We won't allow ourselves to get hurt again. Father, that by the power of your spirit, you would bring a, a humility and an honesty to us where we are able to just freely say, not just to you, but maybe even to our closest friends, listen, I, I believe this with my brain. I am nowhere close to believing it with my heart. I'm really struggling here. I just feel like rolling my eyes. I think I'm just done with this part of God. Lord, that we could say it to you, knowing that you love us and draw us near, knowing that's an invitation for a closer a closer walk with you. And we can, we can feel free to say it to each other. Because you were good. Because you were good. Because even your son lamented, saying, why have you forsaken me on the cross? Even he was open. But even that psalm ends with triumph. Even that psalm and that song coming out of your own son's mouth, your deepest treasure, was actually a song of victory. Father, you're so kind and you're so good. We're so thankful. And it's in your name that we pray and sing and take communion and just rest and celebrate in you. Amen. Some of the people that maybe invited you today, turn to somebody and say, hey, what is this gospel? What is this good news? What is this gold? And then, beloved, those of us that are believers, let us pray for greater heart expansion by the Spirit of God. And let us go with Christ to the ends of the world. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much for your love, your goodness, and your kindness. God, as I think about the people in Thailand, just seeing firsthand that even for 10 years of being there and meeting students just about every day on the campus and only coming, coming across one student who was even a Christian in 10 years. God, may your gospel continue to go forth right there in Concan. God, may it go forth right here in Knoxville. God, would you use Legacy Church to reach this city. Go with us to plant more churches here in this city and propel us, Lord, into the unreached places of this world.
God, over, this, over these next years, would you send us into all the world for your name and for your glory? May we receive and have the privilege of taking gold, of bringing water to people. Thank you. Thank you that you give us the privilege of being a part of your name being known. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, welcome and congratulations, right? You are feeling the stretch marks of discipleship. It's a thin place. It's a very thin place. Some of you are in this room. Some of you are here and you were sinning, actively sinning, because you were actively choosing not to trust and to not obey. You put it aside in your mind every time it comes up. Every time that thing that you do or are not doing comes up, you change the topic and the conversation in your mind because you can't even, you can't even sit to think about it for very long. You make excuses and convoluted reasons why it's okay for you to do that thing or not do that, oh, that, that thing. You, you think that you're an exception, like you're unique. You've probably even found some Bible passages that maybe sound like if you can twist them around enough that they might even back up what you're doing or not doing. And even right now, you're probably trying to convince yourself, I'm not talking to you actively. Now listen, the only application for you today is to repent because you have seen not just an occupied tomb, but an empty tomb. And the same Holy Spirit that raised our hero from the dead and folded those clothes and set them there, right there. That same Holy Spirit is alive in you. You were not enslaved to sin. So when you take communion, you need to repent and beg the Holy Spirit to give you the courage to obey and to trust. Join Joseph. Join Nicodemus. Be courageous, even if it's fearfully courageous. And then I feel like there's probably people in this room that they hear a sermon like this and they can't even conceive of a place in their life where trusting and obeying is even costly. I would again say to step your game up. Wake up. It's likely, statistically likely, that your neighbors back home, wherever you live, are far from Jesus. They're not just dying. They are spiritually dead they will not hear the gospel unless somebody preaches to them. 85% of the city is in that place. Listen, man, missionaries are needed. Missionaries are needed. Churches have to be planted. I mean, hear me now. It's not an option. Church planting is not a bell or a whistle that is on some cooler churches. We have to plant churches. Right now, right now, we are not even planting enough churches to take care of the population growth of Knoxville. We can't even keep up with the rate of the city's growth. We have to plant, it's not an option. We have to plant churches. We've gotta reach the campus. That is far from an option. That is the future direction of our entire culture. We have to do these things. We, 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 we have to give and give deeply to Syrian refugees. We have to pray for the homeless sleeping on Magnolia right now. We have to be active about our neighborhoods. We have to do these things. Disciples have to be made. That's not an option. The gospel must be preached. And these truths will cost us everything. So friend, if trusting God is easy for you, you are missing it. You must wake up. All of those things ought to be calling us 
into dangerous places where, yes, life will never be the same again. Never. Some of you maybe came here and today you find yourself very far from God. But your passions are being stirred. That feeling that you have of your passions being stirred, that's the dead person in you becoming alive, right? Now, if I wasn't a good theologian, I would tell you just to yield to it and to accept Jesus into your life. But listen, you don't have a choice. (laughs) What God wants, he gets. He's a hunter who never misses. And if he is quickening your heart right now to see your sin for the first time and to respond with joy and thanksgiving, it's going to happen. What I would say to you in this time is find somebody today. Find me today. I can't wait to meet you to maybe help you navigate through what we're talking about. Maybe kind of help you understand a little bit of what's going on as this heart of stone is ripped out and a heart of flesh is put in its place. Go ahead and stand with me. I've got to land this. We can land in a place of celebration, though, because soon, in this passage, death will be mocked. No smell of death. $32,000 worth of myrrh. It's just going to smell good, but it's not going to extinguish the smell of death because there won't be any. It's wasted money almost, isn't it? In fact, the only thing that's going to be buried that day is death itself. And that's good for you, and that's good for me. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you so much for being so sweet and so kind to us. Lord, even from the early days of my walk with you, you showing me how costly trust and obedience would be. Father, I know that there is not a single growth spurt in my Christian life that did not call me out on the ledge, that did not put me way out there, where I knew that nothing would be the same again. And I don't just have stretch marks, I have scars, because it was costly. And Father, I still don't have some of those friends back. I definitely don't have any of that respect and honor. I don't have, there's so many things I don't have. Lord, that we would be a church that would be able to let go of this world and to grab another. That we would recognize the thin places and the ground that we, that we walk on and to know that heaven is scraping the pavement right now And I'm being called out of this slumber, this stuttering, weak, hesitant disobedience. God, you are so good to us. Because even when we fail in these things, your hug does not get looser. And even when we fail in these things, your grace does not get diluted or watered down. Which just shows how beautiful you are. Lord, we thank you for an empty tomb. And I thank you for the picture and the narrative and the commentary that that full tomb says to me. There really is a cost. And because you paid it, I am very free to pay it now. Let me go that I may die also. Lord, let that be an echo in our hearts. Fathers, we take communion. And as we worship, 
And as we, we think and as we ponder, let repentance be in our heart for the places that we are slow to obey. Let there be repentance in our heart for, for not even seeing with good, clear eyes. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would even open up our eyes to see where we, where we are being called out, where people are dying all around us, where things are coming apart, where we could be active, where we could obey, where we could trust. You're so good and you're so sweet and we are so thankful. We worship you and it's in your name we pray. Amen. His work cleans you. His life, death, and life brought you new life. You don't have to be a performance artist. I think the pilots in the room, something you carried in here with you, something maybe it's been coming up in your devotional times if you have them, maybe just as you're driving around, you're reminded of something, something that you feel like is in your life that if you could just get rid of, you would be living a totally different life. But you can't decide to get rid of it. And you've started to build a narrative and coddle that thing. Whatever that sin is that you're depending on, you've started to coddle it, right? Building a, a storyline, a narrative with different facts that you have a palate for, that you can tolerate. Friends, listen, you need to beg the Holy Spirit today. Beg the Holy Spirit to give you the courage to change, to let God be king in your life. You cannot offload that. Ask Pilate how that worked for him. Cannot. And then I know that there are those who are religious. And I just have to say, your works are a statement of unbelief. Whenever we work to impress God, that is not just an okay neutral thing. That is actually saying, God, your work for me was insufficient. I must add to it. It's a cry of unbelief. Friends, you too need the Holy Spirit. We, I can do that. We need the Holy Spirit to say, I work and I behave and I perform because I love Jesus and I can't get enough of Jesus, but not because it's going to get me anything that I don't already have. That has to be the cry of our heart, and that can't happen without the Holy Ghost either. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for being so good to us. I thank you for characters like Barabbas. I thank you for characters like Pilate. They don't get a lot of airtime. But when I do see them, I see myself so clearly. And I'm so thankful that you give us these moments of just kind of looking a little bit more deeply in a mirror. So Father, I pray for the broken hearts that are in here, broken by whatever sin that they're in, broken by their best performance that's not cutting it. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be manifest in their life today that you would come and that you would change our hearts. You would readdress our posture. So Lord, that courage that we need to follow you, real truth, no alternatives, no propaganda. And Lord, that the Holy Spirit would bring us courage to lay down our works and our spit and our polish in order to impress you but that we would relax and rest and enjoy you with a life one. That yeah, we would behave and we would perform, but it wouldn't get us any more love. We're just doing it because we've experienced your love so beautifully. And when we fail, you love us no less. You're so sweet to us and we're so thankful. So Lord, as we take communion, 
in families and in small groups while the music's going and as we worship and as we see the words and as we sing, Lord, that you would wrestle with us and bring the truth to us. It is not slippery, but yes, it can be abrasive and help us tackle it. Help us apply it to our lives. So Lord, we love you and it's in your name we pray, amen. And listen, before we start, if you need someone to talk to, I'll be over here on the side. We have leaders in the, in the back corner over there. David is over there. If you'd love to talk to somebody and you need to talk to somebody, feel free to come and talk to us. We'd love to pray with you and talk with you.
Amen. Hey, uh, just a couple quick announcements. Is Kevin in here? Kevin Gentry? Where's Kevin? Oh, come on up, Kevin. Sorry, I didn't even see Kevin there standing there. Kevin's going to introduce us to, to something he wants to, wants to share with us this morning, so I'm going to let him get after it. Oh, okay. All right. Um, I'm Kevin, um, if, you, if you don't know me, um, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I just wanted to talk to you for just a few minutes about something uh, that's kind of new. Um, and, and coming off of this sermon that was uh, beautifully uh, just opening the word to us by uh, Luke, man, that, that's really going to help me with this. Um, that was a helpful sermon. That was really a blessing um, to me, and I, I'm sure it was to all of us. But um, our mission as a church uh, to the city is to lead people to enjoy Jesus, to lead people to enjoy his gospel, and to do that in community. And so, now we, we've got a lot of, uh, of neat things happening in our church that we're growing in that. I'll just say that. We've got leaders on campus through campus outreach. Uh, we've got uh, communities, and you've seen uh, several of them coming up in the past few weeks talking about the innovative and creative ways that they are going on mission to the city, just taking the good news of Jesus with uh, the word on their lips and with their lives. And so what I wanted to talk to you this morning is just a new, uh, I think, exciting way. You may think it's exciting. You may not. But uh, of taking the good news of Jesus to the city. And it's through the avenue of visual art. Now, you might be an artist sitting in here, or you might know someone, because you may not be. Uh, and I don't, when I say artist, I don't want you to picture just the, um, you know, the, the typical guy with the little curly mustache, you know, and, the, and, the, and the, the beret that's like off to the side, you know, and he's holding the, or maybe you're picturing Bob Ross, I don't know, but, and they're just painting away, and he's awesome too, by the way, I, I'm not a hater, but, or was awesome, but anyway, they, they're painting away, okay, that's great. But there are a lot of different kinds of visual art, especially in this day and age. You may be a photographer. You may be a, uh, a videographer. You may paint. You may use ceramics. You may, I mean, the list goes on and on. So it's a, it's a really broad thing. So just have that in mind when I'm talking to you. What we want to do, we've had a couple, we've tried this, and we've had a little bit, a couple of false starts. But, you know, I'll be honest with you. We really can't get this out of our soul. I can't get it out of my soul. One of the beautiful things that Jesus has done when he saved us is he's redeemed our work and made it worth something. He did that, regardless of what your work is. I don't care what it is. It may have nothing to do with art. He's done that. And so as we're living together in community with each other and the world is watching, our work should be different. It should be for, it's motivated differently, and it looks different. It's, it has a different purpose. And that's no less true for the artist, which is work, than any other kind of work. So if you are that person, you're out there, and you, you, you're an artist, maybe you think it doesn't matter uh, in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or maybe you do think it's ma it matters, but you don't know how to connect with community and do it with other people. 
then I'm inviting you. And I'm going to be out front in the foyer, and I'd like you to talk to me. What we're going to do is build a community of artists, and we're doing it already. Okay, I've already got my daughter, by the way, and Salem Plog is with us, and, and there's some others who's, who've expressed interest. But what we want to do is build a community of artists who work with the understanding that you become better at your work when you do it together than when you do it alone. You, you just do. And when you serve, when we serve the city together, they get a clearer picture of God's family being God's family through, through the avenue of work, and in this case, art, than they do when you're alone. They just do. Luke did a beautiful job of showing that to us from the Word of God this morning. And so... I think this is exciting. This may be exciting to you. If it is, I want you to talk to me, and I can give you a lot more details. Um, I can give you more information about that. So uh, thank you for listening. I just wanted to share that, that with you. Appreciate it, Kevin. Um, yeah, so talk to Kevin. You're going to be in the foyer, correct, Kevin? Okay, he'll be out there. Um, <clears throat> if you guys are interested in the next connection point uh, for Legacy Church, that's our comm groups, Communities on Mission. Luke just did, as Kevin said, a beautiful job of explaining how we do community and life here at Legacy. So if you'd like some more information on that, Nick and Emily are going to be at the map in the foyer, the big gray map that has all of our comm groups on it. They'd love to meet you, answer any questions you might have about your next connection. Um, if it is your first, second, or third time maybe uh, visiting, if you could fill out a connection card and we're going to get in contact with you. I know that I've got, I've got four numbers I need to dial this week, so if you're one of those numbers, I apologize for not getting back to you. Um, quickly. So I will be calling you this week. And if you haven't filled one of those out, I'd love for you to fill one of those out. And I'd love to meet you and talk to you. Um, the next thing real quick, something we're going to do as a church this year um, is we are, we are partnering with a local nonprofit called Feeding the Orphans. Does anybody in here know about Feeding the Orphans, heard of Feeding the Orphans? Okay. Yeah. So um, we are going to partner with those guys in the sense of they do a campaign every year called Feeding the Frock. Has anybody heard of Feeding, or Forget the Frock, not Feeding the Frock. Forget the frock. Has anybody heard about this? Okay, this is a, Roger's actually wearing a t-shirt. I just noticed that, man. Forget the frock right there. So this campaign is an Easter campaign, and I'll just give you a brief overview of what it is. We've shared the information on our Facebook page. You can go watch a video about these guys, um, what they do. And one of their, one of their arms is they, they, they do this t-shirt um, fundraiser where um, it's kind of cool. They're, 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 um, they're partnered with a t-shirt manufacturer in Haiti that these guys are orphans that have aged out of the system, and their job is to make these t-shirts, and then we turn around, Feeding the Orphans turns around and sells those t-shirts, and the proceeds go to Feeding Orphans in Africa, and so the idea is, instead of going out and spending your cash on some cool dresses and new, new kicks and things like that, it's to buy one of these t-shirts and, and rock that on Easter, so that's what we're going to be doing this year, hopefully as a church. Um, I know my family's ordered ours, um, a couple other families, Roger's actually wearing one right now. So he's already ordered his. So there's a few of us that have already done this. So you go on our website, watch the video. Um, I'm sorry, go on our Facebook page, watch the video. It'll show you how to buy those things, get those here. Easter is April 16th, I believe. Is that correct? Okay, so I know there's a deadline in order. So go ahead and get that place. Goes to a great cause, and we'd love to support this local ministry. You can check them out, uh, Feeding the Orphans. They are right here locally in Knoxville. So go watch that video. Let's pray, and we will get out of here. God, thank you for today. God, thank you for your word the gifts that you've given Luke to communicate that word clearly. God, to us this morning, working through him and his words, God, we are thankful for that. God, we are thankful for 
um, people you've placed around us, kneecap to kneecap and close proximity, God, I ask that you would be with those relationships this week as we, as we uh, go about our lives throughout the week, meeting with people, um, having tough conversations, God, getting in each other's lives. Um, we are thankful for the opportunity and the ability to do that. God, I pray for each and every person in here today that they would know you, um, God, on a, on a different level after leaving here today. That this text would make them see you, your son, your spirit, God, um, in such a more clear understanding, God, than they've known before. So, God, I ask for your spirit to come and empower us, God, as we, as we go out on mission this week, as we do, do life in community groups, as we do life in DNA groups, God, as we do life in our normal, everyday rhythms, I just pray, God, that you would be with us. God, just uh, come, rescue us, be with us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. You guys have a great week.